And this is the passage that Mason will be speaking on in just a few moments. Jonah chapter 4, and obviously we'll read the whole passage together. Jonah's just seen revival in Nineveh, and he wasn't very happy about it. And that's why we read in Jonah 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. As humans, as Christians made in the image of God, our hearts should align with our creator's. Our creator has compassion for lost sinners, like we just saw in Jonah, with the Ninevites. And we, as his followers, must also have the heart posture of compassion. In your heart, do you truly have compassion for the lost? Does your talents, time, and treasures really reflect good stewardship towards straining towards the gospel and using every opportunity to share it? And at the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. And many times we lose perspective of looking to God in faith and instead we look at what others have and then we look down at what we have in disgust. I remember four years ago, I was invited to go on a mission trip to Mexico and we went to an incredibly poor part of the world. There were really small houses with many people living in it and the showers and the water was not hot at all. And the water, you weren't able to drink at all without getting sick. And those that were sick had no way to get medically treated. And this completely shifted my view from back home, where I experienced contentment when I came back home that I've never 
experience like that. I remember uh, before that, my parents, I'd be mad at my mom when she bought the wrong cereal. Where in Mexico, they were worried if they were able to eat that week. And we still do this today. We compare ourselves with others. And this might not be intentional, but it just happens. And we look at what others have, and we, we look down at what we have in disgust. And we think, oh wow, that person has a nice car. I wish I had a better car. Or, wow, that person's wealthy. I wish I got a raise at work. We start to think that things aren't fair, or they're not just. And this jealousy could actually turn into anger. And this is not okay. And this does not work, because this is the opposite of God's heart. Every time you're jealous of the blessing, the talents, maybe the relationships, the wealth of others, you're resenting the goodness of God because his heart and compassion is for the lost and the broken. We can't be so busy looking at what others have, holding on to grudges and maybe not showing forgiveness that we're not able to align our hearts with the creators to show compassion with everyone around us. And we see in Jonah 4, this is exactly what Jonah does. He's not a good character in this chapter. And in Jonah 3, we saw last week that the Ninevites listen, that man and animal repent, and they were covered in sackcloth. And so God relents from destruction. And Matthew talked about last week, when people turn to God, he moves in redemptive ways. And in, here in chapter 4, we see two things. We see first, Jonah's anger, and number two, God's response. And so we first see Jonah's anger in verses one through five. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made hastily to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the, sa- under the shade till he should see what would become the city. We see that Jonah thought God's forgiveness was evil. The, the word that's used for angry in verse 1 is actually the same as chapter 3 verse 10 when it says turn from their evil way and God relented of the disaster. Jonah gets upset that the Lord would save the Ninevites. And often we think that bad behavior should lead to a bad end. But Jonah takes it very badly that it does not. And we can see the the goodness and the greatness of God's compassion to the Ninevites when when it's beside Jonah's reaction towards it. We see that Jonah's heart is not aligned with God's. And we see that Jonah's reason for leaving Tarshish, it wasn't because he was afraid. Tarshish was much further, a much more dangerous journey. But it's because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knows that God would save Nineveh, and that's why he fled to Tarshish. And we can see God's character contrasted with Jonah's, where Jonah didn't think that they were worthy to be saved but God was gracious and merciful. We see that Jonah was exceedingly angry in verse one and later on in verse nine, but God is slow to anger. We see that steadfast love when extended to Jonah filled him with thanksgiving, 
But when God extends the same mercy to the Ninevites, Jonah's filled with anger. And we see that he wanted to see the city be destroyed. It says in verse five, he went out of the city and sat to the east and made a booth for himself there. He sat under, it in the, under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. I, I often think right here that he, he kind of set himself on a hill and set up his beach chair and umbrella and cooked some popcorn and was just watching the show. He was ready to see what would happen. And the greater Jonah, Jesus, he looked over Jerusalem, Jonah's city, and weeps. But for the opposite reason of Jonah. Jonah weeps because an unrepentant city will be judged. Sorry, Jonah weeps because a repentant city is spared, but Jesus weeps because an unrepentant city will be judged. And I think this is a great moment to reflect. Are you more like Jonah or like Jesus? Does the limits of your compassion, is it being determined by Jonah or Jesus? And we see that Jonah wants his life to be taken. He's essentially saying, yeah, over my dead body. He thinks that he himself deserves God's mercy and grace, but others deserve his wrath and destruction. And God answers in verse four and he says, do you do well to be angry? He's basically saying, is it right that the same mercy and grace I extended to you, that you have received, and I show it to the same to the other people? And in chapter two, we see Jonah's first prayer asking God to save his life. But in chapter four, we see God ask, him asking God to take his life. And then number two, we see God's response to this. In verse six, it says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And at the beginning, we actually see a shift where it says, the Lord God. And this is Yahweh Elohim. And we see when God reveals his name, he reveals a part of his character. And when it says Yahweh, this is the personal name of God, the God of the covenant, the eternal God that revealed himself to Moses. And then we see Elohim. And this is where we saw the creator, the, the creative power in both history and creation. And we actually first see the Lord God being used in Genesis, where the Lord cared for man, for Adam, by providing a special environment. And we see the same thing in chapter four, where God showed and created a special environment for Jonah. God did something very similar that uh, a dad would do for a child that was jealous of another. The loving father drapes his compassionate arm over the shoulders of Jonah and assures them he is loved no less for the compassion shown to the repentant city. And here we also see divine appointments. We see the first one actually in chapter one, verse 17, with the fish. 
and it, it saved Jonah. It brought salvation, but also discipline. And the next one in, in verse six of chapter four, it says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. God appointed a plant. He prepared a plant for Jonah. And this was also a lesson about mercy and grace, especially in the next verse where there was a worm that was appointed. When it says, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. This brought discipline, especially when the next appointment came of the scorching east wind. In verse eight, when it says, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And this brought extreme discipline to Jonah. And we actually see repetition from verses three and verses eight where Jonah says, it is better for me to die than to live. And we see God's similar response in verses four and nine of, do you do well to be angry? And we see that Jonah's heart is not aligned with God's. And we know from simple counseling 101 that if someone behaves in a certain way, that there's a reason behind it. It comes from the root and it flows out. We know that our beliefs or our, our hearts influence our thoughts, which influences our emotions and behavior. And we see that the beliefs of Jonah was not aligned with God's and he thought that Nineveh should be destroyed and they're not worthy to be saved which influences thoughts of anger, leading to the behavior of wanting to die and pitying the plant instead of the people of Nineveh. And as Christians, we have to be careful of the same thing. The more we're rooted in our beliefs of God's truth, the more it it will influence our behavior. But our beliefs, this is where there could be dark or evil. Our beliefs could maybe look like needing the approval of others to feel okay about yourself which leads to the thoughts of fearing rejection, leading to the emotions of making you feel ashamed when you are rejected, leading to the behavior of maybe shying away from tough conversations. Maybe you're even too scared to share the gospel with others. But to change this behavior, you have to change your beliefs or your heart. And this can only be done through the gospel because the gospel evades dark spaces. And in order for good news to be good news, It has to invade dark spaces. We have to have a heart flowing from being rooted in Christ, having the mindset of victory, shining for for people to see Jesus through our actions. And for those of you that aren't Christians here, I invite you to reflect on God's compassion that we can see. How we, like Nineveh, are in sin, but God saved us from disaster by sending his son Jesus to pray pay the price that we should have. And all you have to do is accept it in your heart. And this, this isn't a matter that can wait. It's not a, oh, I'll do that tomorrow or I'll push that off. We don't know when our last day will be. But today is the day you can turn to the Lord and he will save you when you turn to him. And we, we see this even when we look at man versus God's heart, where man, Jonah, he, he pitied the plant out of all the things there. And we see in, in the Lord's question in chapter, or verse 10, sorry, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Everything about the Lord's description of the plant is to underscore how little the plant should mean to Jonah. 
And next we see God's pity, which comes from his character. The God who cares for the sparrow and saves man and beast, and he also saves Nineveh, the the great city of 120,000 persons who are spiritually unaware, who don't know their right hand from their left. Everything about the Lord's description of the city is meant to underscore how much it should mean to Jonah. And I love the ending where it says he also cares for and also much cattle. He even includes the cattle with this, where at the very least, do you at least care for for the animals here? And this, this ends with a question. We actually don't know Jonah's response. Maybe he turned from his sin and repented, but maybe his heart remained hardened. But the real issue isn't how Jonah answered the question. The real issue is how you and I are answering God's question. Do we have compassion for those who are lost? Is our hearts aligned with God's? And I know that we as humans, we have, we have compassion for plants. Lots of us have them. We, we water them, we take care of them, and we put them in sunlight. We even have them in our house. And I know that we care for the animals, just like God cared for the cattle. In my second day at Hoy Lake, I was still meeting everyone and getting to know my host family. And the Davies came over for dinner, and we started to chat, and we were there for a while. And then eventually people started to leave, and someone came back inside and said, there's a baby bird that's outside that fell out of its nest. Can we help it? And so apparently there's this person that helps rescue animals. And so we decide to call them, and we we see if they're going to answer and pick up. And so we call and call and call, and no one picked up. And so we decided to take matters into our own hands and we, we get this bird and we put it in a clear box and I'm expecting this small baby bird but I feel like it was a large crow. And so we tried to take care of it. We did the best we could and so we thought, oh, maybe it's hungry. And so we Google, what, what do birds eat? I don't even know. And so it turns out they eat canned dog food and so we, we knock on the neighbor's door and it's probably half 11 at night and they give us canned food and we, we open it up back in our house, and it's probably the worst smelling dog food I've ever smelt. And then we put it in the box for the bird. And then we stack bricks as stairs for them to get out. And then we were worried that the foxes might get to them. And so we decided to put the bird up as high as we could. And so then at this point, I was really tired, and I go to bed. And I wake up, <laughs> I wake up the next day, and I go downstairs to eat. And I didn't quite put my contacts in yet. And I, I go downstairs, I grab a bowl and cereal and milk and a spoon and I sit down to go and eat it. And right next to me I hear, <laughs> it scared me so bad, I had no idea what it was. And I squint in to see what it was. And sure enough, the bird was in the box back in the house. They cared for it so much that they brought it back into the house. We even ended up giving a name of Conrad Clive. And then we gave it to the person who could help out. We, we clearly have compassion for the animals. And I love in, in the New Testament, we constantly see Jesus caring for people. And we see this in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. 
like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We see that Jesus was moved with compassion when he sees the multitudes. Because they're a sheep without a shepherd. It's like a chicken with their head cut off. Someone that has no joy or hope in their life. Are you moved with compassion when you see the multitudes? When you're on your way to work on the the bus or train and you see someone, are you moved with compassion? When you're at work and you see your coworkers or boss that might annoy you just a little bit, do you care for them? Or maybe the people at the beach or Birkenhead or Liverpool. Do you have compassion for the lost when you see them? Do you care more about your safety and security of living your life in a bubble? Or do you care about the souls of others? As Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we're supposed to follow his teachings. And we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives his disciples one last command. The, the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, All authority in heaven on, and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We see earlier that Jesus told his disciples and summed up the Ten Commandments in two, to love God and to love people. And we as Christians should do the same. And also with the Great Commission, it says to make disciples of all nations. How can we make more disciples if our hearts are not aligned with God's? We must be compassionate for the lost so that we may share the good news with them. So Christian, what would it look like if you boldly prayed for the lost? The, the people at your work, your, your boss, the person that you don't think that has any hope. And then you share the greatest form of love. The greatest gift one can give to another. Sharing the good news with them. But we must also make sure that our hearts are aligned with God's. But how do we do this? See, we, we learned that in order for our behaviors and actions to change, we have to start at the heart We have to be in the word, in God's truth, to align with God's heart, with his compassion. How can we share what's in the word if it's not flowing from our heart? So Christian, we must daily be in the word. We must daily be surrendering our hearts and aligning it with God's. And I love how the psalmist in Psalms 1 puts it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, his lo- and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its seasons, and its leaves does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous." For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We must delight in the law. The word of God, we must meditate it both day and night. And I, I love the analogy, the illustration that's similar to what I've been talking about. A, a tree planted by streams of water 
that yields its fruit in its seasons. Our roots, our hearts, have to be constantly fed with the living water, Jesus, in order for our actions to change. And so if you care and have compassion for the souls of others, you must be filled with the word so that it flows from us. So we're not like Jonah where we miss out on the joy of celebrating the salvation of others. And we must be bold in proclaiming the gospel with others. And so with this, let's stand and worship with purity.